if you would, and let's turn to John chapter 13, where we'll get started this morning. John chapter 13. And strange title for this morning's message, but uh, I hope you'll follow with me on this. But walking ahead is the surest way to end up lagging behind. How many of you have ever found that to be true? As you try to get ahead, you try to get in front of everything only to find out you're farther behind than uh, you ever ended up. And we're going to look at some stories in, in the Bible uh, primarily connected with the life of the Apostle Peter. Uh, next Sunday is what we call Palm Sunday. And then the following Sunday, uh, the first Sunday in April, is Easter Sunday. And, you know, people get all excited uh, about the holidays and the special days. Uh, you know, they call them uh, uh, C&E Christians or E&C Christians, Easter and Christmas or uh, Christmas and Easter, depending on uh, whatever your priority is. And the simple truth is, uh, God wants us to be daily Christians. He, he wants us to follow Him each and every day. And yet, as we go through the Gospels, uh, the book of John is 21 chapters long, and, and chapter 12 starts the events of the last week. And so a preponderance of the information we have uh, about the life of Jesus, at least in the Gospel of John, and it's, and it's maybe not equally as heavy in the other Gospels, but certainly there's more information given to us about that last week than there is about the three and a half years that preceded that last week. And so I don't want to just miss <coughs> excuse me, miss out on some of the events. And, and, and we're going to look here uh, at the life of Peter. And chapter 13 of the book of John, this was the night in which Jesus was betrayed. In verse 4, it says, He writhes from supper. This is the Passover meal. This was just hours, just moments before they went to Gethsemane. Hours before Jesus would be arrested and start that process that led to the cross and the course was finally finished at the empty tomb. Amen. But in verse 4 it says, He rises from supper and laid aside his garments, this is Jesus, and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. And Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. 
and ye are clean, but not all, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, ye are not all clean. And so we have this story here, one of the most amazing stories of all uh, history. Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, the creator of the universe, comes and he spends this three and a half years with his disciples in his public ministry. And on this last night, he lays aside his regular robes, wraps himself in a towel, and does the job of the lowest of the servants. That's an amazing thing. But you, but you need to remember, and we need to remember, that this was not near the step down for Jesus that Bethlehem's manger was. As he left heaven's glory to become a man, to be incarnated is the theological term, that he took upon him human flesh. He was just as much a man as any one of us in this room, he, was, he became a member of the human race. And there's only one way to do that. You have to be born. And Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Without the intervention of a human father, he was born the sinless Son of God. That was far greater step of humility than what we're talking about here in John chapter 13. And Jesus washed the disciples' feet and he comes to Peter. And we got to get a hold of this thing because Peter was one of those guys that just wanted to get something done. Now, I, I like Peter for that. I, I never have enjoyed being around people who just like to sit and watch things happen. Uh, I like to do things. How about you? Uh, somebody says, do you like watching sports on, on, on television? And, and I really don't. I don't have a TV. I don't have cable. I don't want those things. I uh, do watch some movies uh, on video occasionally. But the the thing that I like to do, I'd rather get my kids and go to the park and toss a ball around or kick a ball around than I would watch anything on TV. Uh, that's better for the kids. It's better for me. And it gives us some time together to enjoy. I like to be doing things. I don't like to just sit and watch. And uh, Peter was that kind of guy. And when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, Peter's just sitting there thinking, Finally, Jesus gets to Peter and he says, Lord, you're, you're not washing my feet. That's what it meant. Dost thou wash my feet? Are you really going to do this? And the Lord says, Peter, you don't understand what's happening right now. But you're going to. If you'll just sit down, shut up, and let me work. And, of course, Peter said, Lord... You're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you're not my disciple. I have no, no part in you. And Peter said, okay, Lord, if taking a bath is how it's done, don't do my feet. Let's, let's just pour it on my head. Give me a shower. Let's get it all done. And Jesus said, listen, Peter, you're clean. The only part of you that's dirty is your feet. 
And that's why I'm washing them. Now you have to remember this was the Passover meal. How were they to eat the Passover meal? They were to eat the Passover meal with their shoes on. Girded. Ready to go. Why? Because that's the way the children of Israel ate the first Passover in the land of Egypt. The um, Pharaoh had given the word the firstborn in Egypt had died and the soldiers were knocking on every door saying, Get out of the land of Egypt tonight before the sun comes up. You've got to be out of here. And so they had to eat in a hurry. And, the, and as part of God's ordinance in taking the Passover, as the Jewish tradition was to remember that by eating with your shoes on and ready to go. You weren't to relax and, and, and eat that as you might a normal meal. They were supposed to remember that that night the children of Israel left the land of Egypt. And so Jesus kind of not really broke the tradition, but changed it a little bit and washed the disciples' feet after the dinner. And you know, there are people that make a big deal about that and say, well, just Jesus washed feet, we ought to have a foot washing service. Well, the point of this whole thing was not that we ought to wash each other's feet, but that no one in Christ's church No servant of Christ is above the lowest of the jobs. We don't have two tiers of Christians. We don't have, uh, as some people talk about, clergy and laity. Uh, That's part of the issues that Jesus has with his churches there in the uh, the chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. Uh, The doctrine of the Nicolaitans was one that there were Christians who are one level of Christians and Christians who are another level, the, the important and the unimportant. And Jesus here is saying, listen, I am your Lord and I have done the lowest of the servants' jobs. We're not going to have this tiered Christianity, or if you like the Indian word, it's called a caste system where you're locked into a, a specific place in society He says, all Christians are the same. Now, Peter wanted to be something special. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Unless you want to be something special to the detriment of other people. You know what? You don't have to put someone else down to lift yourself up. In fact, if you really want to lift people up, if you really want to be lifted up, help someone else up, guess what? God will raise his estimation of you when you help other people. That's what Jesus was teaching here. Peter was one of those guys that just wanted to be in front. And so, let's... uh, Skip down here to verse 36. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Does that sound strangely familiar? Like, Peter, you don't understand what's going on now, but you're going to. You know, Jesus was not above repetition. 
Jesus was trying to help Peter understand some things, but Peter just wasn't quite getting it. He was going to have a hard lesson to learn. Peter saith unto him, verse 37, Why can I, cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Peter says, I'm willing to die for you, Lord. I don't care what happens. If you die, I'll die with you. Now look what Jesus said in verse 35, 38, I'm sorry. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down my life, thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Says the sun's not coming up, the rooster's not going to crow in the morning until you have denied that you even knew me three times. Now, that is an amazing statement. Another place Jesus told Peter, he said, the devil desires to sift you as wheat. He said, but I've prayed for you. He said, when you're converted, I want you to strengthen the brethren. And so, let's, let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 26. Peter, Peter said, Listen, Lord, I'm, I'll die with you. I, I, I don't want you just to wash my hand, my feet. I, I want you to wash, give me a bath. And the Lord is trying to get Peter to understand something. Peter, don't run ahead. You're going to get in trouble. In fact, if you try to run ahead, you're going to end up lagging behind, and you're going to get into... In fact, he told Peter what the trouble was. He said, before the sun comes up, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. And, and so we, we come down here to Matthew chapter 26, and they sing a hymn, they leave the, mount, uh, they leave the upper room, and they go to a place called Gethsemane. And... Um, we look at verse 36, it says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And we know that Jesus goes and he prays. And, and, uh, and we, uh, one of these mornings, I want you to pray about this. I, I want to preach a whole sermon just on the prayer that Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. But... We're going to have to keep on moving. And he was praying an hour. And he comes in verse 40 and he finds him asleep. And saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now you've probably heard this verse. It's, it's quoted often. Uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And and Jesus was telling Peter, you've got some time right now when nothing is happening. All I want you to do is watch. But the Bible tells us Jesus was sore amazed and he was very heavy and, and, and he was pouring out his soul unto God. And just the, the sight of this thing so wearied the disciples that they just fell asleep. Three hours Jesus would pray in Gethsemane. Jesus would wake them up 
And the last time he comes to them, and he says something that sounds a little strange. In, in verse 45, Then cometh he to his disciples, and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise! Let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Now, I want you to get, the, uh, get what is being said here. He walks up and the disciples are sleeping. And he says, sleep on now. Take your rest. It's over. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up! Rise! Time to wake up! Let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Jesus is almost lamenting the fact, said, Time's up, guys. You had time to prepare. Now there's no more time. How many of you have ever woken up late for a test when you were in school? Oh, don't you just hate that feeling? Waking up and saying, oh, no, algebra. The only thing that's worse is waking up in the middle of the test and realizing the paper's on the desk underneath of you. That, that would not be good. But we know what happened. We read on and we find that Peter... Followed Jesus afar off. And a lot of people condemn Peter, but Judas was with the betrayers. John went with the soldiers that captured Jesus. And so now we have ten disciples. Where were the other nine? They were all hiding somewhere. I mean, Peter was at least doing whatever he could. I mean, it was a pretty brave thing. He followed afar off. He went right into the palace of the high priest. And what he didn't know was he was setting himself up to deny the Lord. Very similar situation of David in the city of Gath, if you remember that story. And... We know what happened. A young girl comes out and says, Hey, you're one of Jesus' disciples. All of a sudden, all the eyes go. And Peter goes, Me? You got the wrong guy. A little while later, they said, Surely you're a Galilean. You've got to be one of his disciples. And he said, no, 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 no. I, I don't know who you're talking about. And then the last time, how many remember what happened? You see, Peter only needed to deny the Lord three times. The last time it says he cursed. You see, they know Jesus' disciples didn't talk like that. Nobody ever asked him again. And we read the last verse here, Matthew chapter 26. It says, And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let me ask you a question. Would Peter give his life for Jesus' sake? 
How many of you know your Bible? He did. It just wasn't this night. Peter would spend many years serving the Lord and teaching about the Lord and helping other people find the Lord Jesus before God would call him home. But here, Peter ran ahead. Then he ended up lagging behind. And then he denied the Lord. And I'll I'll promise you, you see, God forgives sin. Aren't you glad about that? Could you say amen? Amen. But He doesn't wipe our mind clean. Sometimes there are scars left. And the reason the Lord allows that sometimes is He wants us to learn something. He wants us to learn To walk beside Him on a daily basis. You know, anybody can look good on a given day. Anybody can show up for the big test day, all spit and polished and everything in proper place, and pass inspection. But that's not the test of a real soldier, now is it? The test is that daily service. You know, wars aren't won in a day. There are many, many battles that have to be fought to win a war. It's daily walking beside the Lord. And this thing, we we talk about many different things. We talk about balance. We talk about staying focused. We talk about trying to keep on an even keel. And and, uh, I like the way one guy put it. He says, I want you to put your hand to the wheel, your shoulder to the work, and your ear to the ground. Now, just try to get something accomplished in that position. Amen? I mean, we have all these things that we try to make happen. And none of them is going to do you any good. Because it's that simple daily walk that's the hardest thing to maintain. And all God's people said... So, walking ahead is the surest way to be found lagging behind. But I want to challenge you, there's a caveat to that. Staying put is the surest way to get moved. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. In fact, let's stop in Matthew 28. I'm sorry, if you're in 26, just turn a page or two there. Jesus gave the apostles a command. In verse 18 of Matthew chapter 28, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things 
Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even unto the end of the world. And all God's people said, that's the command. That's what we call the Great Commission. That's what the church is supposed to be about. That's why we take a missions offering every Sunday. Whenever you give, you have the opportunity to give to the cause of world missions. And I praise the Lord for what our church has done for world missions over the year, over the years. And sometime, uh, sometime between now and the first of May, our church is going to pass the million dollar mark in money that we've given to missions. Isn't that pretty incredible? A million bucks. And not a penny of that stayed here. It's all gone out. Now, just in case you're wondering, there's nobody here that's rich. There's nobody here that's got just lots and lots of money. I remember talking to a guy a couple years ago, well, many years ago. He says, yeah, our our missions budget's about $200,000 a year. Oh, wow. Well, then I found out 190 of it was coming from one guy. And I'm sitting here going, that's not the way the Bible's supposed to have it. It's supposed to be everybody doing a little bit. I'll tell you what, I praise the Lord for what he's doing here for the cause of missions. But you can't fulfill the great commission sitting still. But what did the disciples do? Jesus had told them and and commanded them in Luke... That they were, it says, and behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Jesus said, you wait in the city of Jerusalem till I empower you. And that happened on the day of Pentecost. The church didn't start on the day of Pentecost. If you read a book or hear somebody preaching on the radio, the church began on the day of Pentecost. Just turn them off. It's somebody that doesn't know their Bible. Uh, Jesus had already commissioned the church before Pentecost. He'd already instructed the church. Read Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 19 and 18. Uh, and, and in Acts chapter 2, it says, And there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. You don't add something to something that hasn't started yet. And so the church was going. They had the command. But let's go to Acts chapter 8. There were 3,000 people that got saved on the day of Pentecost. And just a few months later or so, if we understand correctly, another 5,000 men got saved in one afternoon. I'll tell you, the, the church of Jerusalem was easily uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 12,000 members in just a, within a year or two of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That was no small church. Acts chapter 6, they have so much going on, they have to appoint deacons, and they have six deacons to help with that church uh, to maintain... Uh, the different things and make sure that the needy people are getting what they need. But we go to Acts chapter 8 and we come here to verse 3 
It says, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women and committing, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Could, could I challenge you? The disciples wanted to sit still and God sent Saul of Tarsus to stir things up and to get him moved around and get him moved out of there so that they would go and they would fulfill the commission that he gave them to go into all the world. And by the way, when the Apostle Paul died somewhere around 68 A.D., we are not sure the exact year, but somewhere in that neighborhood, one of his last statements was, I am free from the blood of all men. The Bible tells us that Peter had gone as far east as the city of Babylon, which would have been modern-day Iraq. Uh, other apostles, uh, Thomas, if we understand correctly, had gone the whole way to India. And uh, Paul had made it to the British Isles and was talking about going to Spain. The gospel had traveled the then known world in one generation. I don't believe that we've had a generation since that has fulfilled the Great Commission as well as those original twelve and later the addition of the Apostle Paul that were added to them. Something to just get a hold of and pray about. So, we, we understand something. We understand that if we get ahead, if we're one of those people that's always trying to get something done, what we're really going to accomplish is get ourselves in trouble. Oh, me. And, and we understand, on the other hand, if we just sit there on our blessed assurance... And wait for God to do something. God's going to do something, but it's not going to be pleasant. Because He wants us to move. He wants us to be active. So, where do we find in the Bible an example of of what we ought to be doing as Christians? Glad you asked. That's point three. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. And you know what? It's absolutely amazing that to find this example... Peter is still involved here in this story. But he's not the one that's doing what he ought to be doing. Someone else is. And let's just start reading here in verse 1 of chapter 10 of the book of Acts. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man. And one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Now, let's just take this little testimony of a man named Cornelius for a moment. Cornelius was definitely not a Jew. Uh, At this point, there were no Jews in the Roman army. Uh, You had to be a citizen. You had to be someone who pledged your allegiance to the emperor. And here we have Cornelius. He was not only in the Roman army, he was a centurion. He was a captain over a hundred men. Century means a hundred. 
And, and so he had a hundred men that followed him. And the, the Roman army was divided up into legions. And uh, each legion was roughly 6,000 soldiers. And the 6,000 soldiers was divided into centuries uh, of a hundred each. And so you can do the math. There were quite a few of these guys in each of the Roman legions. And this guy was devout. Now, what was he devout to, my friend? How long had Jesus uh, been crucified and resurrected from the dead in Acts chapter 10? Maybe a year? Do you think Cornelius, a Gentile, a Roman soldier had access to all the Jewish scriptures? Not on your life. The Jewish people kept those in the synagogue. Now, there were a few people, we read about another centurion that uh, had great faith. There's no reason to believe that Cornelius was the same one that Jesus healed his servant. Uh, otherwise, he would have been identified as such. This was a different uh, centurion. He, he knew what the Bible said. He knew what he could do. How close to the temple do you think he could get as a Roman centurion? Let me challenge you. He was not welcome in the court of the Gentiles. But it says that he found out enough about the God of Israel that as a Roman soldier, when they described him here in Acts chapter 10, he was described as devout. And and here's how he was devout. It says that he feared God with all his house. Now, what does the Bible say that if you're going to fear the Lord, what's going to happen in your life? You're going to hate evil, right? Now, Roman soldiers were prone to one thing uh, for sure. Violence. That was their life. They were there to, to enforce the strong hand of Caesar and make sure that there was complete compliance with everything that Caesar said. And so, Cornelius feared the Lord enough that he was no longer just committing acts of violence for committing acts of violence. He was not cheating and stealing and doing... You know, most people know the difference between right and wrong. You ever met anybody that says, I I just never, never even thought that it was wrong to tell a lie. Have you ever met anybody like that? Could you mark it down? They just told another one. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit of God witnesses and convicts us of what is wrong. That force is in our world today. You know what? They have never dug up one of those prehistoric aborigine tribes that did not have some kind of rule against murder in their tribes. They did not have some form of marriage that isolated one woman for one man. 
They've never found an aborigine tribe that they had to redefine marriage for like we're trying to do in the United States today. Isn't that amazing? You see, that's evidence that the things that are in this book are present in our world. That people know the difference between right and wrong. And Cornelius said, I believe in the God of Israel, and he was listed as devout, and he feared the Lord, and did the things that God said, and those that he had influence with, he traveled with his house, his wife, his children, his servants, other people with him, and everyone that he had influence with, he said, I want you to fear the Lord like I do. And he explained it to them to the point that they followed him in that devotion and that fear to the God of Israel. Does that strike you as just a little strange? Maybe out of the normal here? It ought to. Here's a Roman soldier forsaking the gods and the religion of Rome for the God of a people that has been conquered by Rome. That's an amazing story in and of itself, is it not? But here's what he did. It says, he gave much alms to the people and prayed to God all way. Now that almsgiving just simply meant he tried to help people as much as he could. Being a Roman, he would have a salary that was guaranteed by the Roman government. He, he had money. Being a centurion, he was up the pay scale several Several uh, thing, uh, 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 rungs up the ladder, we might say. And he had the ability to not only supply the needs for his family and his household, but he had money left over. And so what he did with that? Gave it away. Does that sound just a little bit like the teachings of John the Baptist, maybe? He that hath two coats, let him part one. He that hath meat, let him do the same. You see, what Cornelius was simply doing was as much right as he possibly could. And he was doing it on a regular, daily basis. And it said he gave much alms to the people always. And he, I mean, I'm sorry, and he prayed to God always. I truly do wish I had a dollar for every person I met on the street. Oh, I pray to God all the time. We're just like this. Oh, I wish I had a dollar for everyone. It'd be worth something then. That's not what it's talking about. Just saying you pray is not praying. Praying is communication with God. Amen? Praying is asking God for things and receiving from God things. Now, be careful. You say, yeah, I, I listened to that guy on the radio, and he said, if I want a brand new Cadillac, all I got to do is pray. Well, you keep praying. God's not a slot machine, my friend. He's not here just to give you what you want. He is not a purpose-driven God. His purpose is His glory, not your comfort. 
But could I challenge you, you will be more comfortable serving God than you ever could be doing anything else, even if you had everything you wanted. Cornelius was really praying. And we see something absolutely amazing here in verse um, 3. And I want us to read this very carefully. And he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day. Now, why would it be the ninth hour of the day? Does anybody remember that? That was one of the set times, traditionally, that the Jewish people prayed. They had several times set in prayer, and you remember reading the story in, the, in uh, chapters 3 and 4 where the disciples went up to the temple at the time of prayer and they healed the lame man? Well, that time was the ninth hour of the day. It's the same time as here. Cornelius was doing what he knew to do. And, and the Jews all prayed at the ninth hour of the day, and Cornelius said, well, I'll pray then. And so he was praying and he was talking to God and a vision appeared to him and an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto them, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. you imagine that? Here's a Gentile. At this point, no Gentiles have been saved. Only Jewish people. And God tells this Gentile, this Roman soldier, said, I'm keeping track of your prayers and your giving because you were doing both in worship to me. And they've come up for memorial before me. Now you go to Revelation chapter 8 and it talks about an altar before the throne of God in heaven And on it was offered much incense with the prayers of the saints. It's interesting. Whole sermon here. But God uses incense as a picture of prayer. Because your sense of smell, believe it or not, is the most finely tuned sense that you have. If you take something utterly smooth, how many of you have ever had this happen? Get a few grains of sand on your bed sheets. Ah, nothing more irritating. Because everything feels good, but you can tell those grains of sand are somewhere. And they just bother you until you get up and dust everything off and find out where it came from. But you can smell different things all at the same time. You ever had that happen? Walk past the bakery. And you can tell they're making bread and cannolis and other pastries and somebody hasn't been by to empty the garbage yet. All at the same time. And God says, I'm sensitive to your prayers. He told Cornelius sent an angel and said, listen, your alms and your prayers that come up for memorial before the throne of of the God of gods, the God that you fear is keeping track of what you're doing. Now, why didn't the angel say, 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Could the angel have told Cornelius how to get saved? Let me tell you, could have. But God said something a little different. He said, I want you to send down to the city of Joppa. There's a guy there named Simon Peter. He's staying with a tanner on the seashore. His name is Simon. You inquire at Simon's house for Simon Peter, and he will tell you what it, how to get saved. You know what? God does not change his plans. Amen? God has a set way of doing things. He ordained his, his message to go out through his church. And so he tells Cornelius, you go find the preacher and you ask him to come and he'll tell you my message. You know what Cornelius did? He called in two of his servants that waited on him continually. Maybe they were Jewish men. Maybe they weren't. We don't know. And a couple of soldiers. And he sent them to get Peter. Now, God had to do some things in Peter's heart. Peter was wanting to run ahead. Peter had been wanting to sit still. God gave Peter a vision. And by the way, I feel like I need to say this every time. The reason God gave the visions and the things here and the special messages is because this book had not been completed yet. They did not have this. We have this. We don't need visions. We don't need special messages. We don't need new revelation. We need to take care of what we have. Amen? And it's interesting that God set this paradigm, if you like that term, this pattern up with Peter and Cornelius. He didn't give Cornelius anything new. He said, you go and find the guy that's already preaching it and listen to him. That's, that's God's path. That's God's pattern. And so God was busy giving Peter a vision because Peter didn't have Acts chapter 10 to read here and trying to help Peter understand that God wanted to save the Gentile just as much as he did the Jew. And that the Gentile did not need to become a Jew to get saved. And that the Jew did not need to become a Gentile to get saved. But both Jew and Gentile. And by the way, you say, I'm neither. Wrong. You're either. Uh, you can't be both. Uh, that, that's the way the human race was divided up in your New Testament, was Jew and non-Jew, or Jew and Gentile, sometimes referred to as Jew and Greek. And uh, just simply... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Jew had to do. That's what the Gentile had to do. You know what? Peter got the message. Amen? Cornelius had just been walking daily with the Lord. And the Lord said, Cornelius, it's now time. You know, somebody said, well, what if Cornelius had died before Acts chapter 10? Well, can you just trust God that he'll take care of when you're going to die? And he's never been late. 
He's never been early. God is always on time. We want to rush ahead, end up lagging behind and get in trouble. We get tired of that and we say, I'm just going to sit here until God moves me. Well, he's going to move you, my friend. But we get to Acts chapter 10 and we have a guy named Cornelius just walking along day by day, praying, giving, fearing the God of Israel, even though he's a Roman. We have Peter traveling from town to town in Israel, preaching the gospel and healing and doing the things that God had ordained him to do. And God gives Peter a message and he said, God taught me not to gainsay. He said, I'm going to go with these guys. And he goes with them, knocks on the door, and Cornelius welcomes him. And what does Cornelius do? He gets down on his knees and he worships Peter. And Peter says, oh, wait a minute. He says, wrong guy. You only worship God. He says, I'm a man. I just have the message. Amen? That's where we are. We have the message. If you have the Bible today, you need to understand something. God never turns away true faith. You can trust God to honor real faith. And if God doesn't honor it, you can trust Him to know that there's something wrong with that faith that it looks so good. Do we get that? True faith waits, but it always works. If your faith isn't doing anything, it just might be dead. And if it's dead, it's not going to get you to the other side. Amen? Real faith is alive. It's a living relationship with a living God. So we get here to verse 34 of chapter 10, and Peter is on track. He is walking with the Lord. He is doing what the Lord said, even though he doesn't fully comprehend everything that is happening around him. But then Peter opened his mouth in verse 34 and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. That's an amazing thought, is it not? But that's not what Peter had been taught all his life. He had been taught that God loved the Jews and hated all the Gentiles. This was a big step for Peter. We look at this and we say that, well, you've had your Bible all your life. And you didn't have somebody trying to teach you something different. And so Peter says, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And Peter preaches the gospel to Cornelius. You know what? That's God's plan. Peter told them about Jesus. Well, guess what? Cornelius got it. Look at verse 44. And while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles was also poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. 
Now, Peter was explaining the whole message, and the invitation started before the preacher finished preaching. I mean, Peter was explaining, and he was re-explaining, and then all of a sudden, and, and we're, we're not afraid of what happened in the Bible. They spoke in tongues in the New Testament. But I'm not for what goes on on Trinity Broadcasting Network, because here... It says that those people that went with Peter heard them speak in tongues and magnify God. How in the world can you understand what someone is saying if you don't understand what they are saying? Isn't that profound? I mean, I knew what Yukari was singing because I had the words in English in my hymn book. But I don't know Japanese. I don't know a word of it, hardly. I don't know a lot of languages. I have problems with English. That's the way most Americans are anyway. But listen, you can't understand when someone is doing something unless you understand what they're saying. These people that went with Peter understood that these people were speaking a language they didn't rightfully know. Why did God do that? Because he was proving to the Jews that the Gentiles could be saved. That that great commission that he had given to the apostles was not go ye into all the world and teach the Jewish people, but go ye into all the world and teach everybody. Amen? You see, that's, that's so common sense. Why, why was it such a big deal in the Bible? It was because Peter didn't understand all the things that God was doing. He was going to get it, and here's where he got it. And God used these events to help Peter understand that the message that God had given him was good for everyone. And when Peter got back to Jerusalem, what happened? All the church got around him and said, you, you, you went with Gentiles. And Peter rehearsed the thing very carefully before him. And what does it say here? And let's go down to chapter 11 of the book of Acts. Verse 18, it says, When they, the church there at Jerusalem, heard these things, they held their peace, they stopped arguing with Peter, and glorified God saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. We skip down to verse twenty six. And when they had and when he, Barnabas, had found Saul, that's the apostle Paul, he brought him back to Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first. In Antioch. Now, isn't that interesting? The word Christian did not come from Jerusalem. That's where the first church was. The word Christian came from Antioch, a city in Syria. It came from the Gentile church because they were acting so much like Jesus Christ that the people surrounding them, the people in that city, in that area, looked at them 
And they said, we got to classify these people. we got to identify them somewhere. And they said, oh, they follow the teachings of this Jewish guy named Jesus Christ. Oh. Well, what's wrong with this guy over here? Oh, he's the same thing. He's following those, those people who follow Jesus Christ. And they coined the term Christian trying to describe people who followed Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thought? You know, there's an awful lot called Christian today that's not Christian. But that's no excuse for you and I not to get a hold of what was going on here in Acts chapter 10. Amen? They walked with Jesus on a daily basis to the point that the people around them said, You're so much like that guy named Jesus Christ, we're just going to call you a Christian. No, I think somebody got it. They weren't running ahead. They weren't lagging behind. They weren't sitting still. They were walking with the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I needed to hear that message this morning. I need to remind myself as your pastor that we just need to walk with the Lord on a daily basis. It's not big, fantastic things that are going to happen. It's that daily walk with the Lord. You get ahead, you're going to end up lagging behind. You're going to get in trouble. You sit still and try to do nothing. God's going to move you, but it's not going to be nice. God has no new plans. You're sitting in the middle of God's plan right here. It is the local Bible-believing Baptist church. And we serve Him one day at a time. We do the same things that the Apostle Peter did. That the Apostle Paul did. What did they do? They talked to people about Jesus. They gathered together and they preached about Jesus. They took offerings and they gave to help other people and to send other missionaries. What we do here is what they did in the New Testament church. You know what? We don't have two levels of Christians. Though some people like that idea. Well, I don't have to be like pastor. Wrong. There's only one type of Christian. The one that walks with the Lord. We serve Him today. Tomorrow. But i got to go to work tomorrow. Well, you can serve the Lord at work tomorrow. But I got to go to school and you don't, you, pastor, you wouldn't believe the things that they teach me in that classroom. No, you're right about that. I'm not going to believe them either. Because you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to keep serving the Lord. And that's what you need to do. He feared God. He gave much alms to the people. And he prayed always. Paul put it this way, pray without ceasing. Amen. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be also. 
Solomon said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know what? Jesus also said, take up your cross daily. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And we ask, I ask that you would help each one here to just stop and think about these things in your word. Lord, my first thought in prayer to tying the closing of our service would be that maybe there's someone here that does not yet know you as their Savior. Lord, they're, they're not even in the race. They're, they're, not, they're, they're not possible for them to get ahead, lag behind, or even follow. Got to get saved first. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that if there be someone here today that is not sure of their eternal destiny, that they would let us take the Bible and show them how they may know for sure their heaven, their sins are forgiven and heaven could be their home. Lord, we pray for those that are struggling in the race. Certainly, we have those that are getting ahead and lagging behind. Certainly, Lord, we have those that are just sitting still and waiting to be moved. And certainly, Lord, we have some that are doing their dead level best to surrender to you each and every day and walk with you, as Cornelius did, as Peter did, as the early church did, Lord, as we should. And we ask that you would work in our hearts to set that pace, that we would walk with you. You come for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation.